All right. So if you guys want to open up to First Thessalonians. Oh, sorry about that. Last one. First Thessalonians. And we're going to go ahead and actually read uh, the first 10 verses together. Uh, the first chapter is only 10 verses. And so we're going to read the whole chapter. And then tonight is basically an introduction to the letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, there's two epistles, first and second Thessalonians. And so we're going to go through both of those over the course of the next coming weeks and months. Um, just at, however the Lord leads, we're going to go verse by verse, little by little. So tonight we're going to read the first chapter. We're going to give you a lot of introduction information about the letter and kind of unpack it from there and then walk through that over the next couple of weeks. So don't forget next Sunday night, because it is Father's Day, we will not have Sunday evening service. Then we'll have service on the 27th. We'll continue this study then. We're also going to be doing that farewell um, cake, kind of a farewell to the Garcias and the bishops as they're going to be moving to Florida. Then I believe the next weekend is 4th of July. I think the 4th of July is a Sunday. So that evening service, we will not have service. And then we're going to kind of, it'll be kind of hit or miss through there, through July with Unity Fest and things like that. So kind of be paying attention to the bulletin, kind of be paying attention to announcements so we can let you know when and where we're having Sunday evening service. I know it's going to be a little hit or miss the next few weeks. And so, um, but I do want to jump in. So I need two volunteers Maybe one person to read one through five and then six through ten. So two volunteers to read. If I get somebody that would do that, verses one through five of Thessalonians chapter one and then six through ten. Kelsey, all right, one through five and then six through ten. Who would like to read that? Renee, awesome. Go ahead, Kelsey. Go ahead, Renee, verses 6 through 10. All right, so these first 10 verses in the first chapter, I love the way Paul establishes these verses because it's a great summary of what's going to be unpacked in the next so many chapters. It's a great summary chapter, and there's so much in here. And so what I want to do just real quick, I'd like to open it up, and I want to just ask you, in those 10 verses we just read, is there anything that jumps out to you? Anything that stands out to you? Maybe one of those phrases or something we read just there real quick. Now we're going to unpack the whole introduction and talk about all those things. But just real quick, is there anything in there that jumped out to you that you found as 
maybe insightful about the church, something that spoke to you about the people that are receiving this letter, an encouragement that was given to them, their testimony, anything like that, that jumps out to you in those first 10 verses that, that you noticed as we were reading through those verses. Okay, their work of faith. I love that. This is a church that apparently is very active in doing the things of God. Okay, so they're actively doing what God is calling them to do. Absolutely. What else? Or maybe even in in kind of in agreement with what Kelsey just said, something else that either speaks to that or something else that you noticed in the chapter. Anything else we notice about this church or this group of people that are receiving this letter? Exactly. Yeah, and I love that. They were active in their faith. They were, in spite of persecution, doing this. And as a result, their testimony spread not just to their local region, but to the entire region around them. It'd be like saying, you know, we've heard of the faith of North Goodland and the, the faith that this church has held and the people here have held. Even though there's been persecution, we know about and we've heard of this church. It's spreading all over Michigan and all over the Midwest. It'd be kind of like saying in that regard. It's like, it's like it's going out abroad. And what kind of work are they doing? Not just working faithfully in their church, not just serving there, but they're in samples or examples of Paul and the leadership. They're actually doing missionary work as well. It talks about this idea that it's going out from among them. It's being spread out, this gospel. They're already doing missions work. And I've always been amazed in the early church, and when somebody comes to Christ, the natural byproduct, maybe the supernatural byproduct is a better way to say this, is a desire to be missionaries. What did the woman at the well do the minute that she realized who Jesus was and she received Christ as her Savior? What did she do right after she realized who Jesus was? Go ahead, Josiah. Yeah, she told the entire city, the Bible says, right? She went out into the entire city and told everyone she could. That's the byproduct of coming to faith in Christ. What else in this chapter jumps out to you? Anything else that's, that speaks to you or you find encouraging about either this church or something Paul was encouraging the church in? Okay. Yeah, so they turned to God from idols. So what does that tell us about this church? We're going to unpack it in a little bit. What kind of church is this? Is it made up of Jewish believers that were Jews and now believers in Christ? Or are they most likely Gentiles that became believers in Christ? Gentiles, right? This is a predominantly Gentile church, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So they turned from their idols. They turned from what was familiar, what was, what was commonplace, and they chose Christ. Uh, the phrase I love here is in verse 7, when it says an in-sample. Uh, that word basically means like a mold. If you pour something into a mold, and you're going to get every single time that exact same 
product. And what Paul was saying is that when they were pouring themselves into this church, this church became an ensample. It was like a mold of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And they were reproducing that. It wasn't just an example. It was an identical match to that desire to be an example of Christ. And so anything else in this first chapter that jumps out to you, that speaks to you in some way? What does it say Paul's doing for this church? He does it a lot, actually. He's thankful for them. He's encouraged by them in their faith. He thinks of their faith often, but he's also doing this for them. Yeah. He says there in verse 2, we, those that he identified in his group, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, that we'll talk about in a minute, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. I love that Paul prayed for the churches that he ministered to. He saw the power of prayer. And this is, again, where you have to identify that as a church, as believers, prayer is vital to seeing God do what he desires to do in the church. Prayer is key. It's not just about praying little popcorn prayers through the day or thank you for this food. It's about lifting up the actual needs of the church and not just our church. There's churches all around us in this county, in this area, that need prayer. It's it's amazing to me. I was able to send a little message to a pastor locally and just say, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. If you need anything, let me know. And this guy wrote back this long thing about how encouraging that was. Apparently it was some not encouraging news coming his way recently. And he was just so thankful that our church, that I was even praying for him. And that doesn't make me a super Christian. It just means that we need to be doing that for each other because that's where we can encourage each other. I don't have to have a conversation with that pastor for him to be impacted by the prayers that I'm praying for him because that's the whole point. I'm interceding for him. I don't even know what's going on in his ministry. God might be blessing tremendously or there might be great strife or issues. I don't know, but God knows and God's going to work in that. So unless there's anything else before we move into the outline, is there anything else that anyone noticed in that chapter that they want to share that was an encouragement to them? Or maybe something you found interesting or spoke to you in some way. Go ahead. Renee, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yes. No, that's great. I love that. Yeah. And I love that he says that, that the spirit of God is doing this work. We don't even need to tell people it's evident. It's that clear. Absolutely. Great. Anything else? All right. If you guys want to look at your notes there, we're going to break apart kind of the introduction to this and give you guys some more information about uh, some observations we can make. Uh, Many of you remember... Quite a while ago, we did um, some ideas on basic Bible study tools. And we gave you guys a real simple way to interpret Scripture, to look into a passage, and to be able to understand how to take a Bible passage and break it apart. One of the first things you need to do is observations. And so we're going to give you guys some observations that we're going to make tonight. Then we're going to look at interpretation as we move through verse by verse, and then hopefully application as well. So 
author. Who is the author of this epistle or this letter? We know it's the Apostle Paul, but he also identifies two others that we'll get to in a minute here. So the Apostle Paul, uh, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, the apostle out of time, who is chosen of Christ on the road to Damascus. Not only does Paul, or is Paul said to be the author of this according to God's word, the early church never disputed that Paul is the author of Thessalonians. There is external evidence that Paul is the author as early as 140 AD. Many of the early church fathers quoted from this epistle. And so when I say church fathers, I know we've used that phrase before. What do I mean by church fathers? The early church fathers. Who is that group and why does that matter? Who are they? We've heard that phrase before. I know we've referenced it a few times off and on. When you say the early church fathers, who are we talking about? You don't got to give me names. Just tell me what that means. What group of people are we talking about? What's that? Okay, this would be after the disciples. No, you're good. So if you've heard of Augustine, Origen, Irenaeus, um, Clement of Rome, uh, these would be the leaders of the church that were kind of in authority after the apostles. So the apostles kind of die off the scene. They move on. These other leaders are taking place in the maybe mid-hundreds, the mid-200s. They're kind of the ones that are taking charge, kind of leading the churches. And they're kind of the, the human authority in a lot of these churches. And their writings were referenced as authoritative in the sense that if they lived so close to the time that these letters were written, then they would give authority to the authenticity of these authors and the letters. And so when these early church fathers are writing things and identifying, Paul said in Thessalonians, blah, 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 or or Corinthians, that would give authority to the fact that Paul wrote it. Um, Also in your notes there, um, he identifies himself as author, but there are other indications as well. The content of the book is similar to Paul's other letters. So Paul wrote, obviously, Corinthians and Colossians, Ephesians. It reads the same as those letters. Um, The historical references agree with facts about Paul's life. Uh, We read of the founding of this church in Acts 17. So you guys can go over to Acts 17. And you can actually, we're going to read about the founding of this church. So Acts 17 Um, Again, I'm going to need a couple people to read that are interested in reading. So Acts 17, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. So again, we're going to split it up. So I need two readers, 1 through 5, 6 through 10. So I need two volunteers. Sandra, 1 through 5, one other volunteer. Keith, awesome. All right, so Acts 17, 1 through 5, Sandra.
Okay, so this is the founding of the church of Thessalonica that we're reading the epistle written to them. And when you read this, it's kind of amazing. We already established, and we're going to talk about it more in a minute, that there were Gentiles in the church. But what else do we know as far as a group in the church? There weren't just Gentiles. We see here that Jews are mentioned. Greeks, Jews, and even some women of somewhat importance in the community. The other thing I want to point out here is how did they leave the church? They didn't leave the founding of this church in a quiet, comfortable setting. Paul didn't spend 18 months like he did in some places. Some places he spent almost two years. Sometimes it was more six to eight months. But he doesn't spend a lot of time here. He establishes this church, and pretty quickly he has to leave. And so that's going to affect how and why he writes First Thessalonians. When you read this story, it's pretty amazing. One of the greatest things in this passage is the testimony of Paul and Silas. What is the testimony of Paul and Silas in Acts 17? What were they known for doing? And they brought that here. They've done this other places, and now they're coming here. What have they done? We read it there in the text. It says they turn this upside down. But yeah, they, yeah, they turn the world upside down with their message, and they bring in that message where? To us. They're known for coming in and preaching this gospel and seeing great change take place, great effect and impact, and it's happening here. And then they actually cry out and say, we need to punish them because they're teaching something, that there's this other king, that we don't really serve Caesar, that there's another king that we serve, and that it's Jesus. And so, again, we see this testimony being evident even in Acts 17. So we see the church is founded. There were some that believed, some that didn't believe, but there was a great number that did. Now, go back to 1 Thessalonians. Now we've kind of seen kind of the, the starting of the church, the foundation of the church, um, the tension around the city. Think about it. When Paul left, do you think all the tension died down? Do you think the people were like, okay, well, Paul's gone. We're going to leave the church alone. That same uproar, that same tense persecution is going to continue, which again is why Paul writes what he writes in Thessalonians. Um, while Paul, going back to your notes, while Paul is the apostolic author of this letter, he identifies two other men that were co-founders of the Thessalonian church, others that worked with him in the church, either the founding of the church or the establishing and encouraging of the church. The first one is Salvanius or Silas. This is Silas that we read about that traveled with Paul in the book of Acts. We also read of Timothy being recognized here. Uh, Timothy is not mentioned in Acts 17 as fleeing with Paul and Silas to Berea. So it's possible he remained in Thessalonica or went to Philippi. After rejoining Paul in Athens, Timothy was sent back to Thessalonians or to Thessalonica, sorry. And we see that in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 to encourage the new church. If you guys read, it talks about that Timothy comes to Paul. Paul's waiting on him in Acts 17. Timothy comes, but then Paul sends him back to Thessalonica to encourage the new church. The date of the writing, uh, again, is going to be about A.D. 51 for 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians is dated about six months later, A.D. 51 or 52. Paul wrote this letter while in Corinth. So again, he's sitting in Corinth, writing the letter to the Thessalonians. With the exception of maybe an early date for Galatians, some say Galatians was written 48 or 49 AD. With the exception of that, Thessalonians is actually Paul's earliest 
uh, scriptural letter or canonical letter. The audience that he's writing to, this is pretty obvious. He's writing to the Thessalonians, which are in Thessalonica in Greece. A little bit about this city, some interesting things about this town. Uh, The city was a major seaport, city of commerce, numbering around 200,000 in population. And this, again, reminds us of Corinth. Corinth was a seaport city, had a very large, diverse population, was a place of commerce, right, of great people coming and going all the time. And this was kind of Paul's, like, model. This is kind of what he would do. And we said this when we studied Corinthians. Why would Paul establish a church in Thessalonica? What would be the point of Paul picking Thessalonica as the place to establish a church? Why not one of the smaller towns around Thessalonica? Why not one of the smaller cities? Why did he target, go into, and plant a church in this city? Yeah, exactly. And what happened? What actually ends up happening in the church? That, that's exactly what takes place. It starts to spread throughout the whole region. Now, again, as you're doing that, though, what is a higher chance of this happening? Persecution? Criticism? Right? Critique? All those things are going to be higher in likelihood because it's a larger city. Uh, Thessalonica is the largest city in Macedonia and the capital of its province. So it's the largest city and the capital of its province. Since Paul began his ministry in the synagogue, it is believed the church does contain some Jewish believers. However, due to Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10 and Acts 17, 4, it was most likely largely Gentile believers. Um, another point that speaks to the potential that this uh, point is that there's two epistles. There are two epistles among, wait. Yes, this is one of Paul's two epistles, that's what I meant to say there, that does not contain any Old Testament quotes. This is one of two epistles by Paul that do not contain any Old Testament quotes. So again, if Paul's not quoting the Old Testament, that would tell us that this church is primarily Gentile. Uh, Timothy's account of the church, we see here in chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Timothy gave an account of the church as quoted as saying, they abounded in faith and charity and reciprocated his desire to see them. So they're abounding in their faith and charity and reciprocated his desire to see them. They're a loving church. They want to be with Paul and Timothy. The theme of 1 Thessalonians, as we kind of understand the big picture here, the theme throughout seems to deal with the return of Christ as every chapter of 1 Thessalonians deal with it in some way. Every chapter in 1 Thessalonians deals with the return of Christ in some way. There are also general encouragements for practical Christian living, as Paul places in all of his letters. The key text, if we can go there just quickly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. This is kind of the key text or a good summary text of the letter. It says this in chapter 2, verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. A good summary verse for Thessalonians would be chapter 2, verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God, who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. That's kind of the summary verse of Thessalonians, to encourage the believers to walk worthy of their call in God and to understand that they're there for his glory. And as Paul unpacks all that he unpacks, that's kind of a key purpose or summary statement for that. The purpose of the letter, there are a few purposes for this letter. 
since Paul left Thessalonica abruptly, I think I remember it's, he's there one minute and they're wanting to come in and basically take him captive and they sneak him out, they get him out of there. So he didn't have a chance to really establish apostolic teaching. They're pretty basic in their knowledge. But I'm amazed that even with the basics of the faith that they had, they still made a great impact for the region. This kind of reminds us of the study of Romans. The only message those that started the church of Rome had was the message of Peter on the day of Pentecost. But yet they established this great church and they did this great work. So similarly here, Paul had to leave abruptly. So the newly converted believers, some, if not most pagan Gentiles, were left with little support in the midst of persecution. So some of the purposes could be to encourage new converts in their faith or in their trials. I'm sorry to encourage new converts in their trials, to give instruction in godly living and daily work. Um, We see this referenced in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Um, Some had too exclusively dwelt on the doctrine of Christ's coming kingdom and so neglected the discharge of present duties. So basically got so fixated on Christ coming again, they completely were missing the day-to-day living of Christian life. Another purpose could be to give assurance concerning the future of the believers who died before Christ returns. They're frustrated, they're discouraged because believers have died and passed away before Christ came again. Warren Worsby sums up uh, Paul's purpose and his love for the church very well. So I'm going to read this quote that you have in your notes. But I love the way that Worsby says this. He wanted to assure his friends of his love and concern. After all, he left the city hastily at night, and he did not want them to think he had deserted them. Also, Paul's enemies were attacking his character and telling the new believers that their leader was really a greedy charlatan who preached religion in order to make money. When you read 1 Thessalonians 2, you're going to see that being talked about, Paul defending his ministry or his character. Wiersbe goes on to say there were plenty of itinerant rogues in Greece who did just that. And some were spreading the word that Paul was one of them. In this letter, Paul assured his readers his love of his love for them and his honesty in ministering to them. He actually referenced that even in chapter one. He basically talks about, you know what kind of person we were, what kind of men we were when we came and we ministered with you. You know who we were, you saw our character, and he begins to start defending those things. Which is amazing to me that the Apostle Paul would have to defend that. But in this day and age, again, religion was on every corner. There was a message around every corner that different ways to live, different types of philosophies. And again, Paul was getting wrapped up in that. And what I find amazing about that in Greece, because we know Acts 17 also contains the Mars Hill, where he's talking about all the altars and all the things to the different idols and all of that. He says, I perceive that you are very religious. I think he was being a little sarcastic because they were overly superstitious and religious. But he begins to defend the gospel in comparison with these other gods. And in Athens at the time, everybody had a new god. Everybody had a new philosophy, a new way of looking at life, a new teaching. And to me, I don't know what better summarizes our culture today. You can jump on YouTube or any other social media and you can find all kinds of people that advocate all kinds of crazy teaching. And because they have a YouTube channel or because they wrote a book or because they have some followers, somehow we're supposed to give that weight and give that attention. The crazy thing is so much of it has a a sprinkling of scripture and a lot of 
of misinterpretation of Scripture. But it sounds good to the ears, and so we listen. And that's why today I truly believe the church in America today is not being attacked. I should say this, our greatest enemy is not attacking through politics or through those platforms. I think the greatest attack we're getting is on the Word of God and the assurance that this Word is actually the Word of God. Because in our culture today, the, one of the biggest things we'll hear people say is, I don't believe that because I don't see that as my own experience. I don't believe the word of God because I can't believe that for myself or for others. We start picking apart the word of God and we start attacking it because this or that person says this or this or that teaching says that. But when we just get to the word of God and say, what does it actually say? We'll find ourselves standing on truth, even though we may be standing against the crowd. And so Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians for that very same reason. All these teachings are coming in. All these different views are coming in. And he's reminding them, stay true to the course. Stay true to the word of God. As we begin this study into these two amazing letters of Paul, my prayer is that we will gain the same encouragement as they did when they read them. That we would have a renewed anticipation of the return of Christ a refocused passion on living lives that honor Christ, and to be reminded that when we go through trials, we are not alone. Chapter 2, verse 12, I think is a great verse to challenge our hearts and minds this week as well. That you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So my challenge to all of us tonight is myself as well. Are we ready and willing to walk worthy of of the call that God has in our lives? Are we ready to go through whatever persecution comes our way to stand for the things of Christ? I know that we all stumble. We all slip and fall. We all make mistakes. We all sin. But the point is we need to be focused on saying, God, I'm sorry for that. Renew in me a right spirit and keep me focused on living a life that would honor you and praise you. And so as we study this letter out, both first and second Thessalonians, my prayer is that will encourage you to do just that, to keep your eyes on him on his kingdom. Because here's the thing. He's called us unto his kingdom. So where should my attention be? Not even just on him. On his kingdom. Not my kingdom. Not this kingdom. Not this world. I live in this world. But my fixation, my eyes are fixed on his kingdom. It's all about him. It's all about what he calls me to do. Why? Because one day I'll be with him and I'll be glorified with him and I want him to be glorified in me. And so to me, I love this letter. It's simple. There's only a few chapters, five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. So here's what I would encourage you to do. We've got Monday through Friday. So what I would encourage you to do is every day this week, Monday through Friday, pick a chapter and just read through it. And then next, next Sunday night, but the next Sunday after that, two Sundays from now, we'll get into chapter two and break that apart. But I would encourage you to spend time reading through this letter. See the encouragement that Paul gives to this church. And I'm telling you, we read this book sometimes like that's for those people back then. Man, it would be so crazy to go through what they're going through. We go through things today that we need this encouragement just as much as they needed it then. And so I want to encourage you, read through this this week. Allow it to be a blessing to you. And allow God to speak to you through it. And so before we close in prayer, I know we're going to end a little early. And that's okay. I kind of planned on that with the introduction and everything. But I want to just open it up. Does anyone have any questions or thoughts or anything at all that we've talked about tonight that encourages you? Or something you have a question on or a comment about this content tonight that we've talked about?
All right. Well, we can go ahead and pray. I know it's just the introduction kind of getting into it, but I'm excited for it. I hope you guys will join us for the remainder of these studies. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Um, if you do miss one, we are going to try to keep recording these. We'll do it just like Romans and Luke and Corinthians. We'll have a copy of the outline. So if you miss a week, we can get that to you. So you'll have that for the whole first and second Thessalonians. So you can keep that on file for your own personal studies. But let's go ahead and pray. And we'll ask God to be with us this week and the rest of tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, for just all that you're doing in our lives. But Lord, I thank you most for your word. Lord, I believe that in the same way that this culture that Paul is writing to, there were so many philosophies and religions and teachings and beliefs. And I'm sure the, the idea of the day was whatever is your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And it's really all true anyway. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Just you believe what you want and I'll believe what I want. And as long as your belief doesn't hurt me and my belief doesn't hurt you, we're fine. I sense from Thessalonians and even Corinthians that kind of thinking, that kind of teaching that was permeating that Grecian culture. And Lord, if we're being honest, I think that's the philosophy of the day today. Even to the extent that it's not just your truth and my truth. It's more, well, your truth isn't even true if it doesn't tolerate my truth. If your truth says my truth is wrong, then you're wrong. That there's got to be this complete acceptance of every other view in order to be accepted in your view. But when we go into your word, Lord, we know that that's not true. You didn't change your teaching depending on who you were teaching to. You didn't tell the religious Pharisee, Nicodemus, one way to get to heaven and tell the woman of the of Samaritans another way to get to heaven. It was the same way. It was only through Christ. In fact, you said to the woman of Samaria that she didn't even know what she worshipped. That true salvation comes only from the Jews, from the line of the Jews, which is Jesus Christ. And I know we live in a culture today that is tempting us in every way to doubt, to distrust the firmness of the truth of God. To question God's word because, well, it's just an, an old book, an archaic book that doesn't really have any practical meaning today. I pray that we would refuse all of that. Reject all of that. Get into your word and realize it is the foundation for everything that we believe. It is how we know you. We can't pick and choose the verses we like over the verses we don't. Say that one is true and one is not. We have to take the entirety of the word of God. And so I pray that as the Thessalonians were challenged and persecuted, I don't think even just in physical persecution, but I think in the idea of challenging their teaching, we see that today in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that we would decide, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's not popular, even when it goes in the face of cultural norms, we would decide, Lord, we're going to follow you. And so thank you, Lord, for this church we get to read about. Thank you for this example of a church that was so primitive in the sense of what it knew. Not having all the teaching and all the things that even we have today, but yet did so much. Lord, I, I think of our church today. And to be honest, Lord, as a pastor and as a follower of Christ in this church, there's a level of, Lord, if I, a level of embarrassment. We have the wealth of God's word. We have all that we have. Hundreds of years 
of authors and people that you've used to write things for us and give us education. We know the word backwards and forwards. We have so much knowledge of your word. And yet, Lord, I don't know that we have the application we see in the church at Thessalonica. Lord, are we doing this? Are we, are we practically living this out, Lord, in our culture today? I don't know that we are. And Lord, that's not to beat us up. That's just to identify the reality of the fact. And then to say, God, we know that you can do great things when we turn our lives over to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this study to, to stir a passion and a fire in every one of us, Lord, to live for you unashamedly, just to, to focus on you, to live for you, and to see you do great things in this region. That when they hear of the church at North Goodland, they're not going to hear about us as individuals and our names. They're going to hear about you and your kingdom and your glory and your honor and your gospel. So, Father, help us to apply these things and to walk worthy for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming out tonight. Uh, we will see you Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So see you then.